Raised in the heartland under Friday Night Lights, this all-American girl grew up with patriotism in her soul. Now, she tackles the hottest issues of our time. Free speech, religious liberty, and preserving our all-American way of life. This is All-American Radio with Jennifer Kearns. Welcome to All-American Radio. I am your host, Jennifer Kearns. And boy, oh boy, uh, election results still interesting this Sunday. We are here to break down all of the election results with you as the balance of power hangs in the ether. Uh, the latest election results, we'll, we'll jump into all of that. Will we know soon uh, if Republicans will take control of the Senate? And officially the House, it looks like they will in the House, uh, and uh, we'll break all of those results down. Uh, I'd also like to talk about what we need to do to get ready for the next election. And, um, you know, uh, there's some hard truths after every election, and I want to be sure to dive into those because, uh, you know, as they say in politics, you're only as good as your last election. I think they you know, probably say that in the NFL, you're only as good as your last game that you won or your last Super Bowl. And that is really true in politics. And so as we start to do the postmortems on the 2022 midterms, we really have to start looking at how are we going to win the 2024 election. So I want to jump into that. Part of that story is this emerging Trump versus DeSantis fight. And this is going to be a tricky one because you have all of these conservatives and all of these America First folks uh, who have really been uh, Trump supporters for the last five years. And they are people who've been, you know, not engaged in politics in years past that said, hey, I want to come forward. Trump has inspired me. He has shown us how to go a different way. And um, a lot of those people are going to have a hard time breaking from Trump. But a lot of those same people also like Ron DeSantis a whole lot. So we'll be uh, wading into that fight a little bit. I've got uh, pros and cons of both sides of that. Um, my background, for those of you just joining us in KABC Radio in Los Angeles, uh, I'm a former press secretary, lifelong press secretary, actually, a uh, former spokesperson for the California Republican Party. I've done uh, tons of uh, races across the country uh, in mostly blue states and hard to win battleground states. So, you know, I'm kind of a glutton for punishment. Uh, I like the, the more challenging ones and have won tens of millions of votes. And so now that I'm on the radio, really my goal for the rest of my life is to help other Americans talk about the issues and win on these issues and talk about um, the, the current issues of the day with all voters uh, so we can go out there and win some elections. And so that's what we're doing as, as the weeks go here on All American Radio. So glad to have the gracious support of our advertisers and sponsors, uh, including Polston Tax Services, uh, All American Media, LLC, Dr. Kish Optometry, uh, TheRealWarOnWomen.com. Check that out. We'll be talking about women's votes uh, in this uh, broadcast as well. And also uh, so proud to have the support of uh, the guys over at uh, Red Voice Media, where we'll be uh, simulcasting our broadcast. So we're so glad to be aboard with them as well. Well, the elections, folks, let's get right to it. It is deja vu all over again. 
Uh, looks like it's going to come down to the state of Georgia. And uh, looks like that is headed for a runoff. And uh, we'll be once again watching uh, the Peach State to see uh, if the Republicans gain control of Congress. Uh, Herschel Walker there not backing down in his stance and his America First uh, stances. And boy, I think Herschel Walker actually has a, a good chance to win this much better than Kelly Loeffler did. Remember, Kelly Loeffler at the time of the coronavirus was investing in Pfizer and she was a multi multi-millionaire. Her husband, I think, was um, in a special cabinet position or at a pharmaceutical company. So trust me, Herschel Walker has much more of the uh, populist movement behind him than Kelly Loeffler did. And I think um, Herschel has a great chance of uh, pulling that out. But hey, remember, there was a lot of uh, a lot of mules running around the state of Georgia last time. Uh, you saw in that uh, Salem media production, 2000 Mules, you saw that there were people coming in from Missouri and Louisiana and dropping off ballots. Um, and they were people who did not live in the state of Georgia. So uh, lots of shenanigans potentially could take place between now and then. And when you have a scenario in where it's only one seat that's up for grabs, Boy, the Democrats can really focus on that in a laser targeted way, and they can really move the needle on that with some of their activities. So that one's going to be one to watch. Arizona, uh, as of radio time, Blake Masters falling a bit behind in the vote count. And uh, so that's one we're, we're still watching through the weekend. And um, Nevada, though, Adam Laxalt, the former attorney general, of the state of Nevada hanging in there and looks like he will probably win that seat. And so these are these are all good things. Um, let's talk about the not so good things. John Fetterman, if you can believe that, won the Senate seat in Pennsylvania. And I talked to colleagues that night after it happened and we, we just couldn't stop saying Fetterman? Fetterman? <laughs> I mean, it's just unreal. If you watched any of the debates and watched you know, his uh, behavior throughout the the race. Uh, it's just really, really hard to believe that that he won. But then again, hey, Joe Biden won from his basement. So um, that's starting to be what we expect from the Democrat Party. And as I said about Joe Biden, I always said Joe Biden was sort of this empty vehicle upon which the Democrats and the radical far left wing of the party were piling their dreams into. And they just wanted to send it off and let it go to Washington, D.C. And that, I think, is what they're doing with Fetterman, right? They know that Fetterman, the guy can't even go to a debate without a, a an audible listening device. And he's got processing issues after he's had the stroke. And we can all be compassionate about that, certainly. But you're sending a person to the U.S. Senate in a very robust job and I'm not sure that he'll have the cognitive abilities to really think on his feet. And I think, given that Joe Biden got elected in 2020 on almost the same circumstances, I think that's secretly what the Democrats want. They want somebody who's just a rubber stamp, who's just a yes man, who can't say no and can't come up with the, um, you know, the arguments against it. So, um, so that was, for me, that was the most disappointing news of election night. And Here's, here's the hard truth, folks. And this is something we have to really think about. 
And that is what happened in that Fetterman race. It wasn't uh, local issues in Pennsylvania. It was the women's vote. And I know this is so disappointing to so many of you who say, you know what? I don't want to talk about the women's vote anymore. I don't want to talk about abortion or I'm a guy. I don't really I don't want to wade into this, you know, abortion politics with women because it's always a losing conversation for the guy. You know, you're called all sorts of things. You're mansplaining, you're all that. But the truth of the matter is we have a problem with the women's vote. And and really, folks, until we correct it, we're not going to have any red waves in the future. We're just not, not in 2024, not, not elsewhere. And so uh, when you look at the Fetterman versus Oz race, this should have been something, you know, two guys against each other, let them duke it out. That should have been a slam dunk case for the economy and inflation and gas prices in a state where the fracking business had to go out of business because of the Democrats. That should have been a slam dunk, but it wasn't. And you know why? because of the women's vote. And so in the Fetterman race, 15% more women actually voted for Fetterman than Oz. And this is the real shocker because if you look at Dr. Oz's appearances on the Oprah Winfrey show for so many years, you look at how much he's helped women's health. He's encouraged millions of women to go get early screenings, breast cancer, you know, women's cancers, you name it. This is a guy who's helped women for 30 years. And this is the payback he got because he didn't talk to women about the issue of abortion. And uh, this is going to be something that, that we really have to pay attention to as we go forward, whether we like it or not. Uh, reports out USA Today says suburban women again showed up in mass to help fuel Democrats better than expected showings. And you look at uh, coast to coast from Los Angeles to even states like Kentucky, firm red states, women showed up to cast a ballot over abortion. And, you know, the the other takeaways from this that I think we're going to have to contend with in the future elections are the number of women that registered to vote after the Dobbs decision. And so we can say, well, this was a one-off. It was, you know, the year that this, you know, Supreme Court decision came down. But the tale of this can go really a long distance. And uh, the Voice of America is reporting that um, they have seen women engage politically at a greater rate than they've ever seen before. And in, in just the first 30 days after this U.S. Supreme Court struck down Roe versus Wade, the number of women registering to vote for the midterm elections rose 35%. 35%. So think about the races that were won or lost by a margin of 0.1%. That was the margin in Georgia that's now led to the runoff. Uh, The Fetterman-Oz race was like a point and a half. So the fact that women's registration rose 35%, my friends, we are in a great deficit that we're going to have 
a, a pretty hard time getting out of. When we come back, we're going to talk about the next phase of election season, and that goes right into 2024. And boy, this big fight that's brewing between Trump and DeSantis. I want to break that down a little when we come back on All American Radio. Welcome back to All American Radio with Jennifer Kearns on 790 KABC this great Sunday morning. Thanks for joining us as we continue to break down the results from election night just a few nights ago as the balance of power uh, hangs in the air. Uh, We've been talking so far about the women's vote, uh, which is so critical. And I know people kind of roll their eyes and say, gosh, do we have to pander to these groups? Uh, The short answer is we might not have to pander, but we have to understand what happened on election night so that we can win the next elections. And um, so as we roll on here today, we'll be talking about that. We're so grateful for the support from Polston Tax Services, All-American Media LLC, Dr. Kish Optometry, TheRealWarOnWomen.com, and Red Voice Media uh, for their support. And uh, as we go through the show today, uh, we'll have a couple of great guests in, in the next uh, two segments. Uh, one of whom is going to be starring in a documentary on Sunday night on Newsmax in primetime regarding the January 6th uh, events. And this is a person I know you're going to enjoy meeting. And uh, tonight uh, you'll know him as a national star uh, when this uh, documentary series uh, airs. Uh, you're you're just not going to believe his story. He went to January 6th with a small group of people, his girlfriend and a couple of other people, weren't anywhere near the Capitol on January 6th, weren't anywhere near the riots, but they got swept up in this narrative by the left that they were treasonous and traitors. They had their lives turned upside down before their plane even landed back in their home state of Oklahoma. And so uh, we're going to hear from him and hear a little bit about what the uh, special is all about tonight on Newsmax. Uh, I will also be talking later in the hour with Kellyanna Brookings. She is an eighth grader, 14 years old, and she has already been the victim of the left's cancel culture. And so I want to talk to her about her experience being kicked out of school for daring to speak out against uh, the mandates and the uh, teachers unions and uh, everything that's happening in schools today. Um, One thing I want to talk just a bit more about is how we win the next elections. As I mentioned earlier in the show, suburban women once again showed up and showed out and uh, showed that they didn't appreciate uh, some of the uh, messaging of the Republicans and Um, The fact that suburban women didn't vote with Republicans is is quite interesting to me. But there were some other successes. Uh, There was the uh, there were the three seats in New York that uh, got flipped to Republican for Congress. Uh, One of my favorites is uh, Congressman elect Lawler, who uh, beat out an incumbent uh, Democrat who just also happened to be the director of the. D triple C, the guy who basically is responsible for Democrats being elected to Congress across the country. My favorite thing about Lawler's win is he is now the congressman to none other than Hillary Clinton 
and George Soros. And so they have to call him Mr. Congressman. And <laughs> that, I think, is one of the funnier uh, tidbits of election night. Uh, there were some other great uh, points for Republicans. Uh, the other one was uh, this Congressman-elect Santos. Uh, he is friends with a lot of friends of mine. Um, he is the first openly gay Congress member um, on the GOP side in American history. He's also young. He's in his 20s or 30s, and um, he's very active in the log cabin Republicans, uh, which one of my friends heads up, and um, he's going to be a great Congress member as well. And so those are uh, some of the bright spots uh, coming out of the election. The other bright spot, of course, is Florida. And the win that both Ron DeSantis and Marco Rubio had, it is nothing short of spectacular. And Florida Latinos continuing this right-leaning shift. And people always ask, because I did communications in California for 15 years, what is the difference between, say, a California Latino and a Florida Latino? And I always tell people, the Florida Latinos have lived under communism. They've lived under socialism. They know it doesn't work. And that is why they're such great patriots. That is why they register and vote Republican. But this DeSantis win is nothing short of spectacular. He won Miami-Dade County, which Hillary Clinton carried by 30 points in 2016. So that was a 30 plus point flip. Uh, DeSantis also flipped at least six counties that he had previously lost in 2018. So think about that, folks. Those are people who maybe didn't vote for Ron DeSantis the first time around, but once they saw him in action and once they saw his performance and once their lives were in his hands, in the case of hurricanes and COVID, they said, yeah, that's my guy. And I think that is a very powerful, powerful message going into 2024. And I think the momentum for 2024 is on Ron DeSantis's side. And you know who doesn't like that? It's Donald Trump. And I think you can see that there's this tension. Now some shots are being fired, proverbially speaking, toward DeSantis by Trump who, you know, name called him a few nights ago and said he's Ron DeSantis. I think that's a dig by Trump against DeSantis because DeSantis is this like squeaky clean image guy. He went to both Harvard and Yale for undergrad and law school. Then he was a military officer. He's been married only once compared to Trump, thrice married with children by, you know, three different mothers. Donald Trump sees Ron DeSantis as his greatest threat. And that's why you're starting to see these shots come across. But I tell you what, friends, I've gotten more calls about the Trump DeSantis battle than I have anything else since election night. And people, big Trump supporters, people who've been with him since June of 2015, when he first came down that escalator at Trump Tower, people who died in the world, Trump, MAGA people, ultra MAGA people, they don't like the attacks on DeSantis. And that's a big problem for Donald Trump. Uh, he's looking bitter 
he's looking negative. And that's not something that I think Trump really is. Maybe he's under a lot of pressure with all these lawsuits, you know, at some point that does take a toll on you. And I think he does see Ron DeSantis as a threat. A couple more things. I love Trump. Don't get me wrong. I'm an America first girl. But uh, Trump also said he hopes DeSantis does not run. And he said, I know things about Ron DeSantis that even his wife does not know about him. Ouch. Uh, Is that alluding to something we need to know, sir? I don't like that type of threat, though, against a candidate. If I'm a candidate and I hear somebody say that, guess what? That makes me want to run even more. And I think Ron DeSantis is probably feeling the same. He also uh, put a dig on DeSantis's wife, Casey, and he said, well, his wife's running his campaign anyway. I think that comment from Trump is not necessary, right? Because we've seen Trump's campaigns. They're run by his kids. I've never had a problem with that. Politics is a family business. And I think those comments are are somewhat negative. Um, So it'll be interesting to see that battle. There's already talk, folks. We're sharing this scoop with you here. You won't hear this anywhere else. There's already talk at the RNC about whether or not the RNC would endorse Trump over DeSantis. Now, you, you may or may not know this, but the RNC has a lifelong rule. If a candidate is an incumbent, he automatically gets the endorsement. But here's the tricky thing. Donald Trump is not the incumbent this time. He's been out of office already two years. So he would not qualify for the RNC's rule of his being an incumbent. He and DeSantis would get equal footing from the RNC. That means no RNC campaign cash like he got in the year 2020 when he ran. No RNC assistance, no staff members lent to the Trump campaign on behalf of the RNC. So that scenario is going to be, trust me, friends, very, very tough for Donald Trump. He, he's not going to like that at all. And so I predict in the next couple of weeks, you're going to see Trump start coming out and attacking the RNC for things like this, because Donald Trump is used to getting his way, rightfully so. He's a hard charger. He should. But there are some politics behind the scenes that are really going to start heating up. And in fact, Trump already knows all of this is coming and he is looking to run David Bossy as the RNC chair. And I love David Bossy. I, I used to book David Bossy on Fox News uh, when I worked at Fox as a talent booker and producer. And that is a really interesting uh, prospect. And so, folks, I try to give you the inside scoop here. So don't be surprised in the next days and weeks if you see Ronna McDaniel start to get attacked. She is up for re-election in January. And if Trump doesn't get his way in the next 60 days, you can bet he's going to run David Bossy against Ronna and try to throw them all out. And uh, that's where we are headed into the 24 elections. Well, when we come back, as I mentioned, I have a great patriot and a January 6th hero who's going to be here to talk about the Newsmax documentary special tonight. 
Shame of a Nation. You are not going to want to miss his story. If you've ever been victim of the cancel culture mob, you're going to absolutely love this guy and his pushback and his uh, story of success when we come back on All-American Radio. Welcome back to All-American Radio. I am your host, Jennifer Kearns. Uh, So great to be with our Los Angeles and Southern California audience all across Orange County, Riverside, San Bernardino, and Los Angeles. Uh, Great to be back on the airwaves with you guys. Uh, We are so grateful to uh, have our next guest with us. Boy, he is a hero in my mind, and you guys are going to be learning that as well tonight as he appears on a Sunday night news documentary on Newsmax about the January 6th uh, events. And uh, he's got a great story to share. And and it really is a roadmap on how to survive the cancel culture mob and how to um, fight back. And I wanted to bring him on. Uh, Welcome, Rashar Tortorello, to the show. Hey, Rashar. Hello, Jen. How are you doing? Hey, doing great. Well, um, you know, I know you're going to be a national star tonight when the Newsmax documentary comes out. I saw that Newsmax had 5 million viewers on election night on their results show. So uh, I thought I would grab you here before you get too famous for us. Uh, But I want to bring you on and talk about your experience over the last couple of years in politics, um, something that not... Uh, people outside of you know the community that you're in know about, but I think it's uh, nonetheless important to share with people what happened to you. So you were part of a group that went to the U.S. Capitol um, for what you called, I, I remember when you went, you called it a field trip, um, you and a couple of your friends and your girlfriend, and I think there was a senior citizen in your group, an elder uh, person in your group. Uh, so yep. very vicious group, right? Very vicious group, right? Um, and I remember at the time you said, you know, you guys really saw this sort of as a field trip. You had never really been involved in in politics before. And this was something you wanted to go see and witness the, you know, certification of the vote. And when you got to D.C., a riot broke out and really your life really took a turn and, and changed. And I want to kind of walk through uh, our listeners uh, for that. So tell us first why you went to D.C. on January 6th and what sort of led up to that. You know, um, for a long time, I stayed out of politics. Um, I would just occasionally read the news uh, and watch TV. Uh, but for the most part, um, I just kind of stayed as an observer um, until Trump uh, came on the scene. And, uh, you know, he's very mesmerizing. And his, his speaking ability, his his ability to to keep you watching to the last minute um, is something I've never seen, uh, not seen in a long time since maybe Ronald Reagan that had that charisma. And so, you know, um, we were we, we were sitting in Norman and, and Nicole turned to me and she goes, she goes you know what? Um, this is President Trump's last speech, uh, his last public rally. And, uh, you know, I think we should go to D.C. and uh, and, and participate. And I said, okay, I'm 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 day I'm game for that. And so, we went to D.C. and I was expecting him to get up there and, and talk about his accomplishments and 
and and just what he does when he's on TV in a public rally. And uh, that's what we were all expecting. And you're right. We had a bunch of senior, senior citizens with us. I mean, very, very vicious bunch of Americans uh, from the heartland <laughs> that, sh- that showed up. And, Domestic and terrorists. Well, that's what they say, you know, and, and, and <laughs> all we wanted was just to be to be part of history, um, to watch uh, President Trump's last public rally. Um, and, and that's yeah. exactly why we went uh, to to go see him do this. Now, you know, you're right in your opening. Um, we didn't expect um, the fallouts uh, that, that occurred while we were there and months after uh, we left D.C., um, the cancel culture really took a hold of us in the heartland of America in Oklahoma, uh, Norman, Oklahoma, of all places. Um, the cancel culture, um, I call them terrorists, um, tried to destroy our lives, um, put us on so a they saw, 24. Yeah, they saw that the liberals in your town, and let's describe for people who may be in Los Angeles or elsewhere, Norman, Oklahoma, third largest town in Oklahoma, it's it's kind of like Austin, Texas. It's a little more right. liberal, but it's inside of a red state. It's a university town, so you have sort of that liberal academia, you know, professors mentality around town. But for the most part, solidly in a red state. And the liberals in your town saw that you were just in Washington D.C. on January sixth. They didn't ask any questions. They didn't ask, "Hey, were you with the riot?" And no questions were asked. They immediately when you were on the airplane before you had even touched back down in your home state they were already calling you an insurrectionist which if you're a normal human being i always say normal human being unlike those of us who are in politics for a living if you're a normal human being that has a job and has a reputation has kids has kids in school this is a very scary proposition so what started to happen to you when you landed back home so it like it's, you know like you had mentioned it happened before we even took off to come back home. So immediately after we started posting that uh, hey we're in DC rights are breaking out, uh, we started receiving phone calls from our friends, including you, to see and ask if we're okay. But but the moment we posted, that was the moment that our lives changed forever as we were viciously attacked with no way to respond. To the attacks, and so before we landed in Oklahoma, um, the half the town, the liberals of Norman, were against us, calling us insurrectionists. Now you know that I'm retired military. I spent half of my career in the Middle East, and anytime you use uh, insurrectionists or terrorists in the context that most Americans uh, understand it, that puts a target on my back. It put a target mm-hmm. on Nicole's back. Everybody from Norman and Oklahoma who went to D.C on this list had targets on their back, death threats. We received death threats. The, Nicole's practice was just inundated with phone calls and harassments that uh, she had to go out and hire off-duty Norman police officers to sit and guard her office and her personnel for fear of, of some armed person coming into the practice doing the worst. And, and we've seen so- how so Nicole, who you're talking about, just for just for the viewers, is a uh, doctor, um, has a successful, thriving practice, uh, was targeted. And I remember had her nurses called. People were calling all day long, telling the nurses in her medical office she's going to get, you know, canceled. They might as well go look for other jobs. 
I mean, this went on and on. And, and she is also a military veteran, served in the Oklahoma Air National Guard. And I know yes. you're humble, so you, you won't tell people this, but I'll tell people. Uh, you've actually been awarded a, a medal uh, because in the Kobar Towers bombing in Saudi Arabia many moons ago, that uh, you as a service member who was stationed there went in and were credited with saving several lives. So for the left to attack you guys for going to Washington, D.C. for a peaceful rally on January 6th, I mean, that is just really, that is real character assassination. So quickly, tell me how you were able to fight back. Did you fold like a, a cheap card table? I presume you did not. <laughs> well, you know, the, the like, like, like Paul Harvey says, here's the rest of the story. I did not fold like a cheap suit. In fact, my warrior spirit, I retired from the Air Force in 2007. And uh, I thought I'd spend the rest of my life fishing and just doing what retirees do. But it kind of brought me back into the fight, you know. And so I saddled up. There was a group in Norman called Unite Norman. And uh, so Oklahoma was one of the ground zero states. And, and Norman was for, for defunding the police. And so Unite Norman... Um, and the mission to the fight against the the funding of the police brought me into the political arena, and and from there it's where I'm at today. So I didn't back down. No one, none of us backed down, especially me. I ran for city council um, in Ward Five, the largest ward in Norman, and it was a four man race. And uh, my biggest fear when I was knocking doors and talking to my constituents was the January sixth question. But the, the first house I, I knocked, uh, this guy opened the door and said, you know what, uh, you were in D.C. Uh, on January 6th. And I, I go, uh, yeah. And, and he just he, he took out and put his hand on my shoulder and said, you know, don't worry about it because we would have gone, but we couldn't get flights or hotel room. And you know what? You got my vote. In fact, you can put your signs everywhere in our neighborhood because we're going to vote for you because you stood for the president. And you stood with the president. And. That changed the course of what I call my political history, because now I understood that standing up for what you believe in, regardless of what other people say, don't forget, I was receiving death threats. I was getting hate mail, calling me a terrorist, that I should be shot and executed. And this is what I had, I had to face every day for 28 days of campaigning. But the good people of Ward 5 and Norman saw through that. They saw my heart, a serpent's heart, a warrior's heart. They didn't know this back then. They know it now that I am fighting and defending Ward 5 and Norman um, from a lot of different issues and, and doing what I signed up to do, just like we did in the military. I'm doing the same thing as the Ward 5 councilmen. They elected me to do a job and represent them. And I have done an honorable job of representing every resident, regardless of the political background in Ward 5. So, so you didn't back down. This is the no, real lesson here. This is, this is what fascinates me so much. Most Republicans of yesteryear would have said, you know, this is a really hot topic. I'm either going to drop out of the race, recuse myself maybe apologize for having gone to Washington, D.C., even though it was a peaceful rally, maybe apologize for being there. And you actually did not. You actually leaned into it. You said, no, every American actually should have been in Washington, D.C., watching the vert get certified. That's what that's our patriotic duty. That's what we should Absolutely. all be doing. 
And Absolutely. I always thought it was so funny. There was a, another person that ran with you in a slate of, you know, three or four people. And uh, the other person who ran with you, who backed away from the issue, didn't win their race. And I think that for, for old political consultants like myself, I think that is telling too. And that's all the time we have. Sorry to cut the conversation short, uh, but check us out on social media and uh, at Red Voice Media, where we will continue this conversation in overtime. When we come back, I'll be talking with a 14-year-old in the Pacific Northwest who has already been a victim of the cancel culture when we come back on All American Radio. Welcome back to All American Radio on 790 KABC in Los Angeles and on the iHeart Radio app. Uh, my next guest is in keeping with the theme of this show. She is an All American hero, and we wanted to bring her on and uh, honor her this hour. She is a 14 year old student uh, from the Pacific Northwest that has already, folks, at the age of 14, become a victim of the cancel culture mob. And she too has a lesson for uh, all Americans on how to push back against the peer pressure of uh, the radical left today. Kellyanna Brooking, welcome to All American Radio. Thanks so much for joining us. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Well, thank you for joining us. Your story is quite remarkable. You know, I'm used to my colleagues at, at our ages and having worked on campaigns across the country, some controversial, um, I'm used to adults being canceled. Uh, it's something we've you know sort of learned to live with. We've sort of learned to tweet while being shadow banned. And, but your story is so remarkable. Uh, tell us a little bit about how this started last year at your school and ended with you being kicked out of school and how, how this all started. Yes, of course. So I've had issues with my school for years because being conservative in a public school district is very difficult, especially when I'm super outspoken and have a platform that people are aware of in the area that I was living in. And then there was an event where I was cheerleading for my school and I got called racist in front of my whole school. Administrators were there, students, teachers, parents, and nobody said anything. So that was really the icing on top of the cake for me. And that's when I decided that I'm no longer going to comply with outrageous liberal mask mandates. So I decided to respectfully take my mask off, just wanted to sit in class and get my public education as I was allowed to. And after that, I got kicked out of school for two months. I was told that I can either comply and wear the mask and be there, or I can do online school. So I was doing online school for a few weeks, and then I spoke out at a school board meeting where I expressed how horrible it is that this is being allowed and how we shouldn't have to wear masks and critical race theory. And I just called out every single member on the board. And my principal and school administrators then saw that and I got my online school privileges taken away. Wow, just amazing. What was the attitude from the adults in the room at the school board meeting that you dared to call them out? 
It was definitely negative. You know, there's remarks on Facebook, you read the comments, you see the faces they make, even though they're not allowed to say anything. But you can clearly see how that's happened to not only me, but conservative parents and students all around, like the president of the United States calling parents uh, domestic terrorists for simply speaking out at school board meetings. So there's so many examples of that. So take us through your reaction to all of this. I know you've now become a Turning Point USA ambassador. You've also joined forces with the America First Policy Institute, great institution uh, out of DC that's preparing uh, Americans for you know possibly another presidential run. Um, how do you fight back? What are you in school? Are you out of school? What's your status today? I'm in high school now, and yes, you mentioned some organizations that I'm working with. I am so thankful for all of the opportunities I have. My main goal is to make policy and politics more appealing to the youth. I really want the youth to get more involved and realize it doesn't matter how young you are, you can still have a voice, and that we should really be taken seriously because we really are the future. That is so true. Um, what's your What's your plan for the future, do you think you would ever run for office? You know, I never officially say exactly what I'm going to do because you never know what can happen five years from now, 10 years from now, you never know. But as of now, I really want to get into journalism and broadcasting. I would love to be a political broadcaster. I think that I have some great experience now. I have my own show, A Few Words. It's a 30 minute talk show and I'd love to see where that continues to go. Well, I think you would be great on Fox News. We need to get you booked on on there and uh, give Dana Perino a run for her money. Um, where did your patriotism come from? I'm always curious when I hear about young people who are so brave and bold and want to go up against the power structure. Um, is this something that your family instilled in you? What's your background? Oh, that's a good question. Um, so I got involved in politics in the summer of 2020 in Seattle. I'm sure you know we had Chop Chaz, and our mayor called it the summer of love. But the fact of the matter is it was not that at all. There was rioting, looting, sexual assaults, break-ins. It was absolutely awful. And growing up, I was never really taught about politics. I was just taught to respect those who help to serve to make our lives safer. And during that time, that happened to be police officers. So when I saw this, it wasn't a political thing for me. It was just morally wrong. And my dad read the book Never Play Dead by Tommy Lahren, and he let me read it. He was like, Helena, you need to read this. This is a great book. And that's when I realized, oh, this actually is 100% a political issue. And then from there, I started speaking out about how we need to back the blue, uh, respect our country. And I realized that local journalists and news anchors in the Seattle area weren't reporting on this issue in a way where it's like, Washingtonians, we need to wake up. We need to respect our police. Instead, it was glamorizing this defunding of the police movement and ACAB. And from there, I, need, I knew that I needed to speak out against it. Well, I happen to notice that Tommy Laren follows you on Instagram. So I think you're already winning the hearts and minds of people, uh, that's for sure. And uh, given that you cut your teeth in the Chaz Chop Zone in Seattle in the summer of 2020, boy, I think you have a a very rewarding future ahead of you. And I'm so grateful that you spent a few minutes with us today. Kellyanne Brooking, thank you so much for joining us on All American Radio. Thank you so much. Have a great day. I appreciate it. You too. Thank you. Well, folks, you heard it there. Uh, two guests of ours, by the way, 
in, in the last two segments who really didn't get involved in politics until the summer of 2020. And look at the blowback that's been put against them and so many other Americans uh, as they are now called domestic terrorists and uh, traitors and insurrectionists for just standing up for police officers. As you heard Kellyanne Brookings say there, she got involved because she didn't like how the police were being treated in the riots of the summer of 2020. And uh, I think that says a lot about the left. You know, the, the left wants to, you know, talk on the view and talk about women and voting and how Republicans are the awful ones. And time and time again, when you hear these young people getting attacked uh, by the radical left and being told to sit down and shut up because they shouldn't have a voice in American politics, it tells you everything that you need to know about the left today. And as we look at the election results coming in, you know, Joe Biden said in an address Wednesday night, he's not going to change anything he's doing. And isn't that shocking? Usually when at least one Chamber of Commerce changes hands, you have some sort of tamping down of the agenda. No, no. Joe Biden said he's going full speed ahead with his agenda. And that means uh, more projects at taxpayers' expense. It means more Green New Deal projects. He said just uh, the other day, he's going to make sure that we get cars off the road. <laughs> cars off the road? How are you and I going to get to work? That's exactly what they want. They don't want us working. They don't want us driving. They don't want us speaking to each other. And that's become abundantly clear. Even in the uh, takeover of Twitter, you know, how the left is saying now we can't have conversations anymore. <laughs> no, you guys have just been monopolizing that conversation. And so we have two more years of this, unless, unless, uh, again, at the time of this radio show, uh, we do not yet know if the Republicans are going to take back the Senate. And it may all hinge on Herschel Walker in the end. And um, unless we have that, we really are going to have two more years of the Biden, well, I'll just say baloney because it's family radio. The Biden baloney, um, it, it could be possibly a long two years. And so take heart. There's still time to make some changes. There's still time to get Herschel Walker elected. And there's still time to bone up on the issues and, and talk to the voters that we haven't been winning. And I think there is a lot of work for the GOP to do here. We need to be out there talking to women, not about abortion, but about the 14 other issues that impact their life even more than abortion. Things like the Green New Deal, things like the government lockdowns where 2 million women left the workforce, uh, things like the economy, things like inflation, uh, things like the supply chain crisis, things like the stuff their kids are hearing in school. You just heard from a 14-year-old the stuff that's being put upon these kids. They're calling kids racist in the eighth grade. And uh, that's something that um, we really need to take a look at. Well, uh, we will leave it there, and we encourage you throughout the week, uh, check us out at allamericanradio.com. Uh, follow me on social media at allamericanjen, and uh, also look for us 
uh, not only at 790 KABC during the week on the website, uh, but also on the iHeartRadio app. And uh, until next week, keep the faith and we'll see you right back here next Sunday. <laughs>